This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be here in person with JP and a good friend, Shay Bess. We are in Las Vegas at the ISSG course. Shay is essentially the founder of the ISSG. And we're lucky to have him for a couple minutes here to share his thoughts. Shay, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure being with you. I had a great time with you out in April. So it was an absolute honor uh, visiting you and your uh, beautiful institution. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, you gave an amazing Grand Rounds lecture to the, to the Miami group. And I think it really impacted them. Um, I, I'm thinking back to when I first met you. I want to say it was around 2010 or 2011. We were at um, an industry um, sort of a, a brainstorming event, right? Yeah. And, and I, I found that I didn't agree with you because I had been trained in public health and I didn't understand the concepts you were bringing to bear but of course you're smarter than me you were right I was wrong and you've built what is a behemoth of research if you don't have to unless you've been living in a cave um, you would probably see that I think about 20 25 percent of all publications in spine that are legit about surgery are coming through the ISSG, something like that, right? I'd say that's accurate. You know, I, I think that the, the, the big piece, I think, that, that we've been talking about, Mike, in terms of how is academic medicine evolving and what uh, can people that are coming out of training do to be involved in what they consider, quote, academics. And academics, is, I think it's difficult. I think that it's, a, it's not just one thing. It could be teaching residents. It could be teaching fellows. Uh, it could also obviously then be doing research, and, and that research piece is something that we have found through our own independent foundation called the International Spine Study Group Foundation to do multi-center uh, research, uh, and it really doesn't matter if you're involved uh, in, uh, at a university or not. What, what really matters is if you are passionate about research as well as interested in the methodologies uh, in terms of uh, how to actually perform the research. So the piece that fascinates me in as much as doing the actual findings uh, that we uh, glean from our research are the logistics and the methodologies by which we can then leverage uh, even existing technologies so that it allows us to network together and then band uh, together as a single uh, entity uh, to perform that research. Well, that's great. And I want to dive deep into that rabbit hole because, you know, I've always thought, and I'm, again, I'm wrong on this, that you had to be in a university to do legitimate research, right? And obviously you've not only found but led the ISSG group through all these years, through, through 15 plus years and you've generated a tremendous volume of literature and you've not only done that, you've generated literature that matters. It's affected how people make decisions and operate, right? And I'm reminded as we enter the interview season for residents, how we discuss this as faculty. And we're like, you know, it's funny, there's an old saying that if you have an MD, PhD, a lot of those guys, like a disproportionate number, end up doing no research, huh. right? right? And, and I, I wonder why, but for those listening, a lot of them probably believe, as I do, that you have to be in a university to do research, but you, you beat that straw man down. You showed that it can be done, and maybe you can take us through a little bit of the early journey of how it crystallized in your mind, because you were fighting uphill for sure. It, was, it wasn't easy. Yeah, you know, I, I, the, the piece, uh, I think, really uh, to it is, is what are your desires? And what we have found through what we built through the National, International Spine Study Group, then, is a way to get around the bureaucracy. So while when you're part of a university, granted, it may appear that you have all the infrastructure that you need to do research. Sometimes there's a barrier, I think, to it just because of all the red tape that can come with a single institution. 
What we have found by creating our own entity then is that we own the data, we have our own employees, um, we uh, take care of all of our own contracts, we do our own legal work and accounting, but then also most importantly, we own the data because we have the database, we populate the discrete data fields, and so then by owning the whole process, then that allows us then to bypass what is theoretically given to you uh, by a university, namely that you know, they take care of the logistics, but what's actually happening when they take care of the logistics is you get a trade-off with red tape and bureaucracy. And so that's allowed us then to be nimble. You know, I think that the main part of what we were able to do was get together a number of investigators that were passionate about this and that were completely committed to the process. And then as we have then evolved forward then, um, we have, uh, I think, further refined the manner by which we collect the data, but the big piece was having our own data collection platform. But then also a priori hypotheses uh, that then we fed into um, our prospective studies, and the thing that makes our data uh, extremely impactful is they are all prospective studies that are based upon a priori hypotheses, so that then that gives us level two and level three evidence. So that, that sets those pieces aside. Again, one, owning uh, and controlling the logistics, capturing our own data, but then basing our data collection on uh, an, an initial hypothesis, which then drives uh, the questions that we ask of our data going forward. And in doing so, clearly you then uh, begin to ask more and more questions, which then leads to more research. But you know, fundamentally, um, what has led to the success, um, it's not really the logistics, it's friendships uh, with people like you. you know, I consider all the folks in the ISSG, you, Mike, a very, very dear friend. And that has allowed us, I think, to band together. And that is what's going to make this lasting and meaningful. And it's so interesting being at this course, which is geared mostly towards fellows, but there's a handful of, of residents uh, here as well, myself included. It's really interesting to see, in particular, your presentation, Dr. Bess, yesterday, where you talk about not just the data that you generated and the new science you've advanced, but the way in which you've done that. And so you're, you're teaching us not only, here are the surgeries you should do, here's how you do them, but here's how we figure this all out. And so I've been struck increasingly uh, sitting at this course and seeing, again, mostly the fellows here who are all by definition at ISSG sites with members in training, and I'm a resident at Rush by the chance and luck of the match, so because Dr. Fessler was able to bring me here, I get the privilege to attend this, but I wonder for the trainees who are finishing their fellowship, going off into the world, and I was talking about this with Dr. Fessler last night, we're all kind of at the mercy of where there's jobs when you finish training, right? And so for someone who has that passion to continue research, who wants to stay involved with a group like the ISSG, but when they finish, who knows where there's work available. What would you say or what advice could you give to someone starting out for a reasonable timeline or different ways to approach nurturing that research interest and continuing all these efforts that we all do within training when you're first starting out in practice? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I think that much of what you've articulated, you already have it. The things that, that are, are germane to you um, doing research in the future as part of your career is having a passion for it. Because it takes time, it's gonna take away money. The great thing now, though, is 
that it doesn't matter where you are. And so you are liberated then from being either at this or that institution. Go where you want to go. Go where you're going to be happy because you can leverage technology then to create an entity that allows you then to work with other people um, that are like-minded to do that research if you so desire. The big piece though is that do you really want to do this? If you want to do it, that will drive you to doing it. And gosh, we are so happy to help and blessed to help other people logistically create or try to emulate a similar entity because this is the future of spine and the future of spine surgery. If we don't, if we don't collect these data, if we don't prove what we're doing is right or wrong, um, and if we don't control it to improve it going forward, then we're at the mercy uh, of either the government stepping in or third-party payers stepping in. And so I think that we need to take control of our future uh, clearly and define our own path. Yeah, that, that's really interesting how you, you touch on that interest, that intrinsic desire to do these things. I often joke about with Dr. Wang how when I was a medical student in Miami, he would bring me to meetings with him and he would take me to dinners and into these rooms with these luminaries, these top guns in the field where I, I had no business being in that room. And I would look around and think, wow, there's some power mafia within surgery and how do you get anointed and who blesses you to get to be one of these people. And then after, year after year going to these meetings, it, it becomes apparent that there is no mafia, there is no anointment. It's just the people who are willing to do all of this additional hard work without compensation just because you intrinsically want to do it. And that has become so apparent to me year after year and, and really inspiring. Um, I wonder though, and I often am guilty of kind of getting esoteric with the questions though, now 15 years into this project that you dreamed up, uh, as Dr. Wang said, looking back when, when you first conceived of starting this group, what was your vision for it? Did you think it would expand and bloom in, into such an organization as this? Or did you think, hey, I'll call my friends, we'll pull data, do some papers. What, what did you conceive of at the time? Yeah, um, good, good question. You know, and I'm, as I'm going through my Rolodex of, of, of responses as you're going through that, the big thing that strikes me, or the, the, the first word that comes to my mind is cohesion. The main mm -hmm. thing that I was striving for, for this group was cohesion. Everything else fell into place. And the second piece really then is empowering the people uh, that I had a true bond with then to be productive, to deliver on the things that we have all wanted. And so, so much of this really is living day by day, week by week, enjoying it. It, it, it can be hard at sometimes to maintain that 30,000 foot view uh, because uh, have always been so hyper-focused on cohesion and sustainability. But I think that then those, um, those efforts uh, toward creating cohesion, creating sustainability, which obviously falls in budgetary aspects, it falls in the technical and logistical aspects of it, then maybe it liberated other people then within the group to be free uh, to ask uh, research questions. And then when we get together, um, the, you, you, as a group and as you begin to gel, you go through this collaborative intelligence standpoint where it's just not my brain, it's, it's all of us working together mm. on refining ideas. And that's what creates the synergy. 
is, is in this auspice, I think, tr truly is this concept of collaborative intelligence. Yeah, I love how you say that, Shay, because when I'm thinking about this just in this conversation, when I think of most clinicians doing research in our field, surgical fields, what happens is they may study the population or a data set, or they might have an idea and write down like when Harms invented the T-Lif or Cloward invented the ACDF and all this stuff. But that's kind of been the history of our literature, which is fairly low level, right? But what you've done with ISSG, and I was going to ask you to catalog the, the, the accomplishments, but there's just not enough time for that. It really is like basic science where you see a lab doing something, you're like, why is that in science? It doesn't seem that important, it's mechanistic, whatever. And that builds upon something else and it, and it becomes a body of, of knowledge that could not be possible without that incremental march. Like people want to say, well, we're just gonna know in retrospect that this is the right or wrong thing to do, but that's actually not how science happens, right? It's very incremental. And the painstaking work of that is, it, is, is weekly or daily or whatever for you. So I wanna ask you, because you're, you're celebrating your anniversary today, how do you justify, I know how I do it, right? But I know a lot of our listeners are struggling with this. How do you justify doing what JP's saying, which is you're spending your time, your energy, your emotional energy, money, right? You're giving up income, opportunity cost, maybe up titles, accolades. How do, you, how do you bring that to bear in your, li in your personal life? Because you're so committed. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I guess it really uh, it begs the question, how do you justify happiness? Because this is the thing that makes me happy. Mm. And because it makes me happy, it doesn't feel like work or effort. I love doing this. I love seeing you guys. I love sitting here talking with you, Mike. Everything that entails the ISSG, I'm passionate about. And quite honestly, it is the most fulfilling part of my life. I think that that probably is what has engendered some of the, of the success because I, I, just, I just don't see it as work. I, I see it as, as doing something that I love doing. Yeah, your passion scared me at first. I remember our first meeting because we had the <laughs> MIS group was new, right? You, know, you guys were doing open deformity and the MIS group, there's like seven of us. We're like, oh my God, these guys, like there's too many rules. And, and, I, and I, in retrospect, I see why. Yeah. Like that was brilliant because all the other study groups fell apart. Yeah. You got to create cohesion. And, and I think that there needs to be you need to, while you give people the opportunity to be creative, um, and I think that this, our group, provides a platform for people to truly be free intellectually, academically, and from a research standpoint. Vet and pursue your ideas, but pursue them together, because first and foremost, we're a team. And so I think that though, if you don't have some kind of boundaries, some kind of guidelines, it probably generates anxiety, and so it, it, it's too freeform. And so you need to have some form of control and content, but within that, give a complete uh, free reign. Yeah, it, it's interesting, the question of how do you justify this in your personal life. That immediately made me think, because you know we opened this conversation talking about are you at an academic center, are you at a private hospital? How do you justify this to your hospital department? Because this time that you're not you know, you're spending your own time, you're spending your own resources. You're also not at home booking cases, doing cases, and generating RVUs for your department. So for the members at a private hospital, or again, for people going out into practice who want to be part of something like this, but are in a private center who may not value academic productivity, I guess when you first started down this venture, did you have pushback from your hospital leadership? Or what, what advice would you give to someone who's starting that? And how did you kind of break through that wall? Yeah, that's a good question. The, 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 the thing that, that you will need to do as you embark on this is have a partner 
uh, a research uh, a director uh, that you work with. I have one, um, his name is Brett Line, uh, and I wouldn't be able to do any of this without Brett. He's brilliant and he's an unbelievable team player, and he and I have been uh, together since uh, 2008. Mm. Um, and so having somebody that then uh, can help manage your research um, it is critically important managing it because there's so many things that you can't do. And I think that if you commit to that, um, either out of your own pocket uh, or as part of your negotiated contract, you have to have a research director with you. Otherwise, you're just not going to do it. You can't be just a one person and fool yourself that you can do this without that. So it's the personnel. And then beyond that, I mean, gosh, uh, Ray Marlop and Tarek then, who uh, is the administrator for the ISSG, and we've layered in uh, Jenny DeJong and Christy Baldus. Um, it, that, it's that personnel that, and the commitment that they have that has made this just possible and incredible. You know, the monetary piece, I don't really care about. I don't really care about doing more cases or making more money. Um, I think we're all gonna do fine. Um, I care about being happy and doing the things that make me feel most satisfied, and, and this is it. So Shane, make the pitch, you know, we're in interview season, people are interviewing for fellowships, people are interviewing for residencies. You are a spinal deformity surgeon, you're an orthopedic surgeon, right? And the process of getting there, there's a lot of distractions. A lot of people think, well, I'm gonna do orthopedics, I don't wanna do that, I wanna do sports, or neurosurgery, I don't wanna do spine because it's too grueling, I wanna do brain surgery, whatever. Make the pitch for what you specialize in. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's an easy one. I think that in my training, I gravitated towards something that I found to be most interesting, not just from a procedural standpoint, but what patients I wanted to see. And then what could I do beyond just doing surgery, which is research. It is, that has always been the crux of it. But what are you really asking about that? What are the concepts, the ideas uh, behind what you go into? Uh, that are fundamental to that topic. Do you like the pathology? Do you like the questions? Does it inspire you then to ask further questions and does it motivate you to dig deeper into that specialty to help improve the specialty? And then what'll happen if you say yes, you're gonna be happy with what you chose and then you're gonna find like-minded people like you and I have, Mike, that have allowed us to work together and move the needle forward, which again, it's just this perpetual portion that, that then allows us to continue this process. Well, Dr. Best, thank you for your time for this conversation in the podcast, and again, for organizing not just the ISSG and its body of work, but this course, which as an attendee and learner here has been phenomenal this weekend. Uh, it's a real privilege to attend it at my level of training. Um, for everyone listening, if you ever have an opportunity to come to one of these courses and meet all of the names on all of those papers, uh, Dr. Best truly somehow corralled everyone under one roof, and it's really a phenomenal experience just to see the way, as you say, the cohesion, the way you all interact, the way you talk about things and generate 10 ideas in a single conversation. So, Dr. Best, thank you for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's an honor. Uh, Mike is such a good friend, and I, I wish you the best in your career. Um, and we in the ISSG are happy to collaborate in any fashion we can. Thank you. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. 
Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.